Welcome to SNC's podcast series, SNC Critical Insights. I'm Annie Ostrager, one of the co heads of SNC's labor and employment practice, and I'm joined today by Catherine Rogers, a senior associate in our labor and employment group. On today's podcast, we'll be focusing on workplace culture. In the past year or two, there's been an increasingly bright spotlight on workplace culture as lawsuits and investigations are pursued by employees, shareholders, and federal and state agencies. There's also been prolific press coverage of these actions, as well as employers' responses to them. In addition to these lawsuits and investigations, recent movements such as Me Too and Black Lives Matter have put the spotlight on workplace cultures that allegedly perpetuate or tolerate harassment, discrimination, and retaliation. Plus, the COVID pandemic has prompted discourse on burnout and mental health, which has only been amplified by recent actions in furtherance of mental health by public figures such as Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles. This and other factors have led us to a tipping point and have created the perfect storm. Workplace culture matters, particularly to younger employees. In fact, in a recent study, millennials said they would take an average pay cut of $7,600 if they could, quote, improve their career development, find more purposeful work, better work-life balance, or better company culture. So it's fair to say, as younger employees become an increasingly larger portion of the workforce, that this focus on culture isn't going away. With all of this in mind, and as many companies prepare to return in person at some point this fall or early next year, now is a good time for companies to take stock of their culture, to assess what's working, what isn't, and what changes can be made. Thanks, Catherine. I agree that this is a topic that's on the mind of many employers right now. To set the stage for our conversation, let's define workplace culture. For our purposes, workplace culture is the personality of an organization, and it can include a company's values, its mission, its policies, and the expectations and general work atmosphere. And why does culture matter? That's another great question, Annie, because I think in the past, one could look at any given company and almost divide it in half. On one side was strategy, and then the other was culture. Strategy was the meat of the business, the nuts and the bolts, essentially why the company existed, how to improve the bottom line. What I think a lot of people saw as the substance. And culture was seen as something nice to have or the soft stuff. And that's changing. First, as we noted a moment ago, younger generations are focused on workplace culture. And second, studies have repeatedly shown that there are clear benefits to a strong, sound workplace culture. And given the focus on and importance of workplace culture, it behooves companies to assess their culture before it becomes an issue. In other words, it's far preferable to take a step back and look at the company culture now instead of waiting until there is a corporate crisis to address any cultural issues. And what we're talking about today, a proactive culture audit, is a good place to start. It's basically a temperature check on culture and can serve as a jumping off point to facilitate employee feedback and the implementation of any workplace improvements. In broad strokes, a culture audit includes the following, and we'll touch on each briefly. First, values. Second, leadership. 
three, interviewing, training, and promotion, and four, policies, complaints, and exit interviews. That's right. And we'll talk about this as we go, but one very important thing to think about as a company considers whether to conduct a culture audit and how to conduct a culture audit are privilege considerations. And that will include who conducts the audit, to whom the results of the audit are reported, and the format that any reporting will take. Starting with the first piece of this that you touched on, Catherine, values, the first step is to identify the company's current values and mission statement. Identifying a company's values and its mission statement are an essential starting point for a culture audit. If a company isn't clear about its values, it's difficult to develop a strong, sound culture. A company might consider whether its values align with where the company is today and where it wants to go. Often, companies write their mission statements in early stages of their development, and if they're not revisited regularly, things can start to diverge from where they started. And as a company grows, it's important to revisit these values and ensure they're still relevant and accurately reflect the business. And in that process, it's okay for a company's values to evolve. That's something that should be actively considered. Clear values ensure that everyone is invested in and working toward the same thing. Oftentimes, employers think that values are only amorphous ideas, such as work-life balance or DEI. But it's important to identify in these values how the company will grow, including financially, and the behaviors that will drive its success and be specific even within broad umbrella concepts. So once a company's current values are identified, one of the next areas to assess is leadership. Leadership plays a key role in setting the tone of any organization, and it's important to make sure that leaders are demonstrating the values of the company. Employees look to leaders for what is considered appropriate behavior. A company could have the best written values and policies in the world, but if leaders aren't modeling them, its culture will not thrive. For a culture to thrive, the company's values must align with the behaviors that leaders are modeling and encouraging. An audit will take a look at each leader objectively to determine whether they are, quote, living the company's values. Assessing leadership also involves determining whether there are any teams or groups that have a subculture, which is either counter to the company's values or, on the other hand, soundly demonstrates the company's culture to determine if there are any insights to be learned from either group. After assessing whether the company leaders are modeling company culture and values, a next area to assess can be whether values are part of the recruiting, hiring, and training processes in place at the company. Human resources are critical partners at each of these phases, but again, in conducting any assessment of these topics, privilege considerations should feature in the design of an audit or review that a company is going to undertake. And that brings us to the fourth part of the culture audit, which addresses policies, complaints, and exit interviews. At this stage, a company should review its written policies to make sure that its handbooks and processes provided to employees embody the company's cultural values and that any complaints are handled properly. I think that's really important, Catherine. And relatedly, a company should make sure that it has a process for individuals to complain if they believe they're being harassed, discriminated, or retaliated against. 
Complaints should be taken seriously and followed by an appropriately tailored investigation. And of course, the contours of that investigation will vary depending on the nature of the complaint, who is allegedly involved, and other circumstances. Having a process in place not only reduces a company's exposure, but also sends a clear message to employees that complaints are taken seriously and misconduct won't be tolerated. To underscore this, a company should have processes in place to determine appropriate discipline, and that discipline can, in some cases, include termination of employees who engage in misconduct. It's also important for companies to have clear non-retaliation policies and ensure that employees who file complaints report alleged misconduct or participate in an internal investigation will not be retaliated against. Those are all good points, Annie. And the privilege points that you made earlier also come into play in determining who should conduct an internal investigation and whether to engage outside counsel. Additionally, on a more macro level, complaints can provide insight into any cultural problems, particularly if certain types of complaints are raised repeatedly. Exit interviews, basically sitting down with employees as they are departing a company and asking for honest feedback, both positive and negative, can be another source of information in a culture audit. Oftentimes, complaints or exit interviews are looked at in isolation, and it's important to consider whether a larger pattern presents itself when a group of complaints and exit interviews are considered together. So Annie, those are the four pillars of a workplace audit. Obviously, each audit will differ depending on the company, its current culture, and the goals for the audit, and as you mentioned, privilege considerations. That's right. Having outside counsel participate in and direct the course of an audit may be helpful in protecting the privilege if that's how the company wants to design this type of exercise. And in addition, employees may be more forthcoming with an outside interviewer who does not have a perceived stake in the outcome of this type of review. Those are the basic contours of a cultural audit and some issues that companies may want to consider as they think about whether undertaking this type of exercise makes sense. We'd also encourage you to watch our webinar, The Impact of Maintaining a Diverse, Equitable, and Inclusive Workforce, which touches on some related topics. Subscribe to our blog, Legal Developments Affecting the Workplace, by clicking the links in the show notes. And thank you all for listening to SNC Critical Insights. Thank you.